Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. At Igniting Your Faith, we strive to motivate listeners toward a full life in Jesus Christ by sharing the love and life-changing force of God's Word. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. Well, today is the last Sunday before Christmas. Can you believe it? Fourth Sunday of Advent. It seems like it's raced along since Thanksgiving. And today we celebrate the fact that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. C.S. Lewis said somewhere in one of his writings, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. I think of it like this. God can't give us joy and peace apart from himself because he is their source. And you can't get one without the other. It's like trying to get uh, water from a waterfall, but stopping the waterfall before it comes over the edge and expecting you're going to get water. You know, peace for us as human beings is both an inner and an outer state. We talk of inner peace, and we mean something like inner tranquility or calmness, inner harmony, a, a trusting attitude that all will be well no matter what's going on around us. I heard this week that there was a, a big scare at one of our schools and um, a threat of violence, and some of the kids were running around like, uh, wow, I never prayed before, but I'm going to pray today because I'm scared. Uh, but there were other kids who were just sailing over what was happening in peace. And I heard one of them share how it's because they trusted Jesus. They said, I'm with Jesus. I'm going to be fine. And so they had peace. They had the inner calm despite what was going on around them. Peace is also an outward state of harmony between us, well-being between us and others. We yearn for peace in our homes and between us and our loved ones, peace with our neighbors, peace in the political sphere between nations, peace in the world. And there's peace with God, which is the source and place where all those things can come from, but apart from which peace in any of those areas won't be lasting. You know, unfortunately, both inner and outer peace too often fly away. We have a tendency towards lack of peace and towards fractured relationships that seems to be built into our human nature. Paul says it like this in Romans 5, Jew and Gentile alike, we're all slaves to sin. We're all captives to it. We can't help but do wrong. Our righteousness isn't enough to get us to God. It's not enough to get us to peace. The world has this idea that if you're just good enough, if you build up your good deeds and your moral accomplishments just far enough that maybe somehow you'll be pleasing to God and maybe somehow life will go well and maybe somehow you'll be led into God's presence at the end of the time based on how good you've been. But we can't lift ourselves off the earth in our moral character. We can't put the eternal peace and righteousness of God in our hearts apart from him. So this is a vain delusion to think that we can lift ourselves up to heaven by our own righteousness, our own goodness. There's so much striving and self-righteousness that comes out of the human race in an effort to try to please and reach God. But the gospel is something altogether different. 
Paul says a righteousness from God has been revealed by faith in Jesus Christ. It's different from our righteousness. It's not the same thing. And that's how we get reconciled to God. Maybe you remember an episode in your own life when you became alienated, you lost peace, not just within yourself, but maybe between you and someone you used to be close to. One of you said something painful or insulted the other or stole something or lied to the other or broke a promise or did something selfish or mean. And then there was no apology, no forgiveness. And the relationship fractured. Where you used to be one, now you weren't anymore. Peace disappeared. Now that's our, our human state. What I just described happens to all of us. It's, it's what's natural to us because we are alienated from God, the source of righteousness and peace. And so we end up doing things that we regret as we're doing them. Paul puts together many Old Testament passages when he summarizes the human condition that leads to the opposite of peace in Romans 3. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it's written, by the way, Gentiles, for those of you who don't know, is everybody who's not a Jew, so it's the whole world. As it's written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Did you hear that? The way of peace they do not know. And, and Paul isn't picking on a particular set of people there. He's talking about all of us. He himself tried so hard to be a righteous man through keeping the law. But he ended up becoming a, a hateful, bitter, angry, self-righteous man. Hating the Messiah and his people. Persecuting them. He was all too familiar with the shortcomings of self-righteousness, his own shortcomings. You know, in our natural spiritual state, we are prone to a kind of inner and outer warfare that makes peace impossible to obtain, impossible to hold on to. You know, it says that there's a promise that the new king, the king of peace, will bring righteousness and justice. But where there is no justice and righteousness, where there, these are denied and kept in short supply, peace and unity are always going to be impossible. And the reason for this woe is our natural alienation from God. We are naturally alienated from him. That means that's our native state. And so we can't help but be less than godly in how we respond to life. You think about it. If God is the source of godliness and we're not naturally connected to him, how are we going to be godly? Where are we going to come up with that immortal and infinite and eternal power if we're not connected to its source? It's like trying to get power in your iPhone or your whatever electronic device you're using and it's not plugged in and never has been. You could turn it on all you want and nothing's going to happen. Because it's not been plugged into power. And that's what happens to us when we're not plugged into God. 
And it's our natural state not to be plugged into him. We as a race have turned away from him and lived independent of him since our, our, our first parents. And it's not just them, it's all of us who make this choice to say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run my life without you. I'll take charge. And so we can't help but be less than godly in how we respond to life. And without God, we can't find lasting peace and fulfillment. We hunger for them, but nothing ever finally satisfies. We yearn for fulfillment, but we can't find it in the world. Put differently, God has put eternity in the human heart. That's in Ecclesiastes. And nothing but God can truly fill that space. Because we're naturally estranged from him, the result is our yearning, our lack of peace, our striving but for, but never finding fulfillment in the things of this world. Beckett Cook, in his book, A Change of Affection, recalls the hunger that characterized his life before he found Christ. He was a successful Hollywood set designer with all the high-paying work he wanted, partying with the rich and famous, riding in limousines, friends with movie stars, having whatever relationships he wanted. But none of those things brought lasting peace, lasting fulfillment. After each accomplishment, each personal goal reached, he kept asking, kept wondering, there must be more. He reached the top of the worldly definition of success, but when he got there, he wondered, is this all there is? The more he had, the emptier he felt. And he was in despair of finding true fulfillment, true peace, true inner joy, true lasting meaning, true significance, true connection to eternity. And then he was at a coffee house one day with a friend and he saw a bunch of Christians studying the Bible over at a table. Now this is in Hollywood and studying the Bible over the table in that particular coffee house was like, wow, that is super weird. And one of the guys got up and went over and talked to him and invited him to come and, and join the study. And when his friend left, he did that. And they welcomed him. And, and he had a reputation as a a worldly, sinful guy, and they paid no attention to that. They just welcomed him to the table, and then they invited him to church on, on that Sunday. I'll tell you more in a minute. The more he had, the emptier he felt. That longing, that emptiness inside had begun to prepare him for some news, some good news about the Prince of Peace. St. Augustine described this same phenomenon in his great autobiography, Confessions. He pursued his passions and desires without regard for God or his mother's Christian faith. He grew up in a, a at least his mother was a Christian, his father was not. But he grew up and by the time he was a teenager, he despised his mother's faith and had, wouldn't want to have anything to do that with that. And he pursued all his passions and desires as far as he could take them. But despite all he obtained through selfish craving, life kept serving him disappointment, heartache, and emptiness. He knew firsthand the truth he later wrote of. You have made us, speaking to God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Knowing our problem, God promised beforehand to provide salvation. 
Isaiah 9 records one of those promises. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he, handled, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of, the, of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, if you're not familiar with Israel's geography, Zebulun and Naphtali, Galilee, those are all parts of northern Israel around the Sea of Galilee. And they were sort of like, uh, had a reputation of being pretty pagan and lost. That was where there was a lot of intermarriage with foreign pagan peoples. A lot of syncretism, a lot of confusion about spiritual things, a lot of superstitious occult practices, worship of the idols of the pagan nations around. Not far from the Sea of Galilee is a, is a site called uh, Caesarea Philippi where there's a, there was supposedly the entrance to the Gate of Hades at the, at the Temple of Pan. And that whole area was regarded as spiritually dark. And so this is talking about the appearance of a light in that dark area, representative of darkness in the world. Verse 5 continues. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. It's a speaking about the end of warfare. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You see, that promise speaks of the end to warfare, the end of spiritual darkness and the coming of the Prince of Peace, whose kingdom will mean lasting peace and the restoration of justice. And righteousness. Now, it's one of the things that you notice about people who give themselves in earnest to start following Jesus is that their moral lives begin to change. They begin to care about doing right by other people and by themselves. Well, maybe before they were just like, I'm just going to live for me. And, and if I need to take advantage of somebody else to get ahead here, I'll do that. And if I need to manipulate to get my will and my way, because I think that might bring me peace, I'm going to do that. But when they find Jesus and they surrender self, they start to live differently. The king of peace, the king of righteousness, the king of justice begins to manifest in them. And they start to show his light. You see, our salvation and peace is not to be found in a program, nor in a political party, nor in some technological or scientific advance, some new piece of knowledge. It's not found in conquering yet another earthly mountain, achieving another success, nor in gaining another athletic victory, another victory on your cell phone game. It's not found after getting perfectly into shape through exercise, nor in finding just the right romantic relationship. It's not to be found in meditation or psychotherapy, though those things can help with mental and emotional and relational problems, but neither meditation or psychotherapy can fulfill our longing for eternity. God made you with eternity in your heart. Nothing but eternity can satisfy that. And our salvation is to be found in the eternal one who's been sent to earth for us. 
And Jesus Christ, the child, the wonderful counselor, whose origins are from of old. Another prophecy says about him, they are from everlasting, that his origins are from everlasting. The son of God who came down from heaven for us and our salvation, who is mighty God and mighty to save. Jesus came in fulfillment of all those hundreds of Old Testament promises. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. The kind of peace the world gives lasts about five minutes, and then you got to move on to something else. That meditation practice where you silenced out all the pain of the world, and for a moment made it all disappear because you tried to think about something else. As soon as you stop that effort, the, the pain of the world comes rushing back in. But Jesus, his peace is different. It comes in him as a person. That's why he says, I stand at the door and knock. At the, in that letter to Revelation, we're speaking to people who've been walking sort of in a spiritual fog and they've not really known him close and personally. And he says, if anybody opens the door to me, I'll come in and I'll fellowship with them and, and we'll eat together. It's a picture of restored unity with God and peace, joy in the presence of God. Here again, the promise from John 14 that Anne read. If you love me, keep my commands, Jesus said. Now I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you. When we're in Jesus, he gives us the Holy Spirit who comes to live within us. The spirit of truth. The world can't accept him. See, the world tries to find God without Jesus. It tries to find the things of God without God himself. And it never gets there. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. The fact that they were attracted and drawn to Jesus in the first place was evidence the Holy Spirit was working on them. That he was present with them. But Jesus is saying something bigger. He's with you, but he will be in you. That's God coming to give the peace and fulfillment of that place in us that longs for eternity, coming within us that the world can never give. I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. And before long, the world won't see him anymore, but you will. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you'll realize that I'm in my Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Do you wonder where peace could be in your home? Lasting peace. Where peace could be in your heart, lasting peace, where peace could take place between people who are otherwise seen to be becoming enemies. And that's what the world does. That's what our sin and our captivity to evil does. It keeps alienating us from each other. But here in Jesus, we have this thing, this beautiful thing that God is willing and longing to come and make his home with us. And he's made the way just by faith. In Jesus, simple faith. Therefore, being justified with, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Justified by faith. That means just putting your trust in him. That's enough to get you made right with God, justified before God, reconnected to God, rejoined to the source of peace, to a relationship with the eternal. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, he's given us a way to find fulfillment and peace, not peace earned or achieved, but peace given. It's given simply because we put our faith in God's Son. It's the first peace. And it's the beginning of peace in all other realms. Peace with God. And that's what Jesus brings. Jesus brings us peace with God in the sense that he reconciles us with God and reunites us with him. And it's the peace of a restored relationship. Becky Cook describes going in to the church that day. And, and he was cynical about Christianity and the church. And he went in all prepared to be critical of what was going on and, and all prepared to like despise the hymns that were being sung. You know, those, those Christians, they sing all that spiritual stuff. And he got in there and the spirit of God began to work on him and he began to feel the peace in the room. It wasn't in him yet, but he could feel it in the room. And the words of the hymns were beautiful and the spirit of the people who were singing them, he could feel the joy in them. And the pastor began to talk about how our righteousness is not enough to connect us to God. We can't get there by our own efforts. It just ends up with frustration and self-righteousness. It doesn't look so hot, certainly not in an eternal scale. But God has made a way in his son that whoever puts faith in him could be forgiven and reconciled to God, reconnected to God. And he, there was a, an invitation, and he didn't want to go up, so he didn't go up. And then people were going up, and there was somebody to pray for them as they came up. And, and he sat in his chair, and he's like, ah, oh, maybe I should go. And finally he went up, and, he, and, he, and he, he got there to the altar, and somebody was there to pray for him. And they prayed, he said, a beautiful prayer, but nothing happened. And he went back to his seat. And he was sitting there when the Spirit of God came on him and flooded into him. And he began to weep and weep and weep. He said he wept for about an hour and a half as he wept out the pain of the emptiness he'd experienced for so much of his life and felt the presence of God come into him. And he said, all in one go, I got that Jesus is the Son of God, that the Bible, the Scriptures is His Word, that He is who He says He is, that He's conquered death, that He's true and trustworthy to the uttermost, and He flooded into me with the Holy Spirit, and I was beaming with joy. And that began at the beginning of His walk with Jesus, a transformed life where He set aside the glories of His past and the worldly successes and relationships and things that He had before that He had tried but never succeeded in fulfilling Himself with. And he found it instead in Jesus. All this I have spoken while still with you, Jesus said, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit will come, whom the Father will send in my name, and he'll teach you all things. You see, we can't really get what the word of God even means without the help of the Holy Spirit. We can't really get who Jesus is. Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the Father draws them. We can't get even to Jesus unless the Father is working in us to draw us to his Son. And the Son draws us to the Father. Because remember, we're alienated. We're naturally alienated from God. Why should we think we can find the eternal God when we, we're with these small little mortal beings down here on this earth? 
But God's come and found us. And so he said, he will teach you and remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who restores peace. Now, I want to close by reminding you of a, a story you've probably heard before. Horatio Spafford, who wrote that great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. He wrote about God's peace. He was a devout Christian and an elder in the Presbyterian Church, lived in the Chicago area. He was also a successful attorney and a real estate investor who in 1871 lost his fortune and his real estate in the great Chicago fire of that year. Around that same year, his four-year-old son also died. He had five children, died of scarlet fever. Thinking vacation would do his family some good, he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to England planning to join them after he finished some pressing business at home. But while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship was involved in a terrible collision, and it sank. More than 200 people lost their lives, including all four of his precious daughters. Only his wife, Anna, survived the tragedy. And he immediately set sail for England. She wired him that she alone was all, all the others were lost. She alone was, was saved. And he set sail for England. At one point during the voyage, the, the captain of the ship summoned Horatio to tell him that they were now passing over the spot where the shipwreck had occurred, over his daughter's graves. And as he thought about his daughters, words of comfort and hope filled his heart and his mind. And he wrote them down. And they have blessed so many of us to this day that well-beloved him. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows, like sea billows, roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it's well. It's well with my soul. He knew the peace of God that passes all understanding because he knew God. Paul describes our peace. I'll conclude with this, Romans 5, once more. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace, this undeserved favor in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Do you have peace with God? Would you like to? Jesus has made the way. Have you put your trust in him? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Igniting Your Faith. Let God's word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet. 
Igniting Your Faith is copyrighted and published by Dr. Chris Fisher and First Church, Schuylkill Haven, Pennsylvania. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher, this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org. We hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.